me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to begin a new, uh, just a summertime series. We're going to take a break from our study of Acts and look at these, uh, some, of, some of the latter chapters of Isaiah. When you get to chapter 40, it signals uh, a new section uh, in the book of Isaiah. And uh, we're going to look at this new section because I think it's uh, particularly uh, appropriate for us who live today in, in our circumstances. So we're going to look today, uh, if, uh, if you look at the outline I've given you, we're really going to look at the first two verses of Isaiah 40. Um, and then next week we're going to look at the 3 through 11. 1 through 11 forms a, a prologue to this final section of Isaiah. Uh, the prologue uh, covers 40 through 66. And the themes that are uh, given here in these first 11 verses are repeated throughout these last 25 verses, uh, 25 chapters or, or so. But we're going to just look at the prologue, the first half of the prologue today. I've given you the outline for the whole thing, this two-part sermon, uh, because I thought it might uh, help us understand it a little bit better. But let's read the first two verses today. Um, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Well, if things continue on their current course, trouble is coming for Christians in America. For over 200 years, it's been quite comfortable to be a Christian in the U.S. Christian morals have been widely accepted uh, in our society. Church attendance uh, was viewed as a normal thing. Traditional family structures were valued. Uh, with increasing secularization of America, the church is being pushed further and further to the fringes of society and even demonized in some cases. Traditional uh, Christian beliefs are seen as outdated, uh, subversive, or even dangerous. It's becoming unpopular and uncomfortable to be a Christian in the United States of America these days. On our current trajectory, it will soon be difficult to be a Christian. And then it might become dangerous to be a Christian like it is for many believers in other parts of the world. Seems hard to imagine, but we're on that course. We're already seeing once faithful churches, uh, once faithful churches succumbing to societal pressures to compromise. We're seeing people on the fringes of the church and nominal Christians quitting the church altogether. This all can be very discouraging and disturbing to us. And this discouragement and grief over the state of our culture and the church is what this passage from Isaiah before us today addresses. Chapter 40, as I said before, marks a new section in the book of Isaiah, in the prophecy of Isaiah. And uh, what, if we go back, the previous 39 chapters present uh, themes of divine judgment, confrontation between God and his people, and even uh, indictment using lawyer language to prove the case against uh, the people uh, of Israel and Judah. 
Isaiah has been warning the people of God about the trouble that is coming to them. Trouble that is going to be uh, shaking up their comfortable lives as the Assyrians and the Babylonians, these godless countries, come in and and invade uh, Israel and then Judah. All this is being talked about in the first 39 chapters. And then you get to chapter 40 and a, a change happens. The entire tone changes. And what we have here in chapters 40 through 66 uh, are promises of comfort and light and salvation. E.J. Young, great uh, Bible scholar, says this about it. When one turns from the 39th to the 40th chapter of Isaiah, it it is as though he steps out of the darkness of judgment into the light of salvation. So that's why I'm... Uh, you can thank me for starting at 40 and not giving you 39 chapters of judgment. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to look at these first two verses where God says, Comfort, comfort my people. Uh, uh, and what we have here is God telling Isaiah and his other prophets, his other messengers, to comfort or console his people, alleviate their grief and sorrow and disappointment. And he says it twice for emphasis. Uh, Comfort, comfort them. And speak tenderly to them, he says. Uh, Literally it says, speak to their heart. That's how we translate, uh, that's what it literally says, and we translate it, speak tenderly to them. But he says, speak tenderly, even though he says speak tenderly to them, it's not in a whisper, it's in a cry. Cry aloud. Uh, A vigorous and passionate proclamation. Speak to their heart, but do it, but cry passionately to them. We see the love of God uh, shining through, the love He has for His people, and how He wants His prophets to address the people. We see it more in what He provi- provides for His people. The great love of God shining through. He wants them to be comforted in the midst of their trouble. And this brings us to the point I want to highlight today with its three sub-points. The comfort of the church. What comfort can we have in the midst of the troubles that we see all around us? I don't know what that is. Just use the pulpit mic, I think. That might be a good idea. The devil is in the microphone. All right, three things, three points that he mentions here. Uh, First, her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So first of all, the church's trouble is over. Uh, Her warfare is ended, it says there. Uh, The word warfare means military service. It's the word uh, that that you would use for, for military service. We have a lot of military folk here in the church, and you would understand that uh, military service can be a hardship, can be difficult, especially in a time of war. Uh, This phrase, this word, is used figuratively for a period of hardship, duress, and misery, but hardship, duress, and misery that has a purpose. Now, soldiers train hard, and, and warfare is very uncomfortable, to say the least. It involves danger and hardship, but it's danger and hardship for a goal, for a purpose, in order to win the war, to secure freedom, or whatever the reason might be. 
Well, Isaiah here is telling the people of God in his day that, that though there will be trouble, they will endure some hardship and duress, it will fulfill its purpose and it will have an end. It won't go on forever. Your warfare will end. Your trouble will go away. And like all prophecy, there are layers of fulfillment. Yes, uh, Isaiah is talking to people uh, in, Isaiah, uh, in, in, in Israel and, and Judah in the 700s before Christ. But like all prophecy, uh, there's, there's numbers of fulfillment through history until you get to the ultimate fulfillment that we look forward to even in our day. The people of God in Isaiah's day, or after Isaiah, they were eventually restored to their land after the exile. But this passage has as its ultimate fulfillment in even our future. We're looking forward to these things that are listed here. We are looking forward to the day our warfare is ended, our trouble is over. Yes, the people of God face troubling times, spiritual warfare, as, as uh, Paul talks about in his letters. Uh, but there will come a time when the church will, will become, uh, the church militant will become the church triumphant. Yes, we are at war right now, there's spiritual warfare, but one day that war will be over. The difficulties we face in this time of trouble and spiritual warfare will have uh, a, a purpose. They do have a purpose, and we will see those purposes worked out. If we believe Romans 8.28, it says it's true that you know, all things work to good. For those who are called by God, who love God, uh, they will have, all their sufferings have a purpose. All their trouble has a purpose. God has a purpose behind it. And those purposes will be realized through the hardships we face, even the troubles we are enduring today. And then they will come to an end and there will be trouble no more. Isaiah uh, goes on in a later chapter and says, talking about this time, the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. Violence shall be no more heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. And that's a wonderful picture of the future that is laid up for those who put their hope in the Lord. And we have that hope, and that is a comfort for the soul. So uh, God is saying, speak this comforting word to the people, that yes, even though you go through trouble, even though there are troubling times on the horizon, those troubles will not last forever. God will arise victorious and his people with him. And that gives us an anchor for our souls. And all these troubles we go through, they serve a purpose, and God is behind that. We look forward to that everlasting future devoid of trouble in Christ's kingdom, and we hang on to that. Well, there's a second thing that we see here listed, that uh, a word of comfort to the church. The church's iniquity is pardoned. Her sin has been paid for. 
The language used here means the sacrifice made to atone for her sins has been looked on favorably by God. He accepts the sacrifice made for their sins. He forgives them. They would be carrying on these sacrifices. It wasn't that they suffered for their sacrifices. It was that they provided a sacrifice and God accepted that sacrifice. And if it was true for the people of Isaiah's day, how much more true for the church? What a comfort it is that the Lord himself became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You cannot atone for your sins by living a godly life, by by trying to do better. Jesus did it for sinful people like you and me. He makes sure that our iniquity is pardoned. And that's comforting. Do you know the comfort of having your sins forgiven by Jesus? If so, stand in that comfort in the midst of all the trouble we face today. Rejoice that your sins are forgiven and remain faithful to the one who brings such a comfort into your life. As we face the troubles, we can remind ourselves, yes, I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed. God is not against me anymore. I am one of his children. I have been redeemed and saved and adopted into his family. And he wants the best for me. And the troubles may come, but I know they come from a loving Heavenly Father who is only using those things to help shape and mold me into his image and make me all that he would have me to be. How all that works together, I don't know. It works together in God's mind and his infinite wisdom and power. But that's what he's doing. And he's cleansed us and forgiven us. And that's a great comfort in a time of trouble. And the third thing that he says, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The church's sin is covered. Now we might be interpreted this as saying that the people of God have suffered for her own sins double. You know, we read there, they have received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I think we would naturally read that to say, you know, she's been punished twice as much for what she's done. But we shouldn't really uh, understand it that way for a couple of reasons. First of all, that would negate the previous phrase. We've just been told that her iniquities were pardoned, that she was, you know, she didn't uh, sacrifice herself to cleanse herself from sin. No, she provided a sacrifice, or a sacrifice was provided that was acceptable by God in their place. And so to interpret it as that she has suffered for her sins doesn't fit with the previous phrase. And it would certainly not be comforting to receive double for your sins. I don't want to receive double for my sins. No one should want to receive anything for their sins because sin is a very bad dreadful thing before a holy God. And even the sins that we think are very small sins are an affront to God's holiness. And we wonder why, okay, you know, why why God just can't sweep it under the rug? Why can't he just let it go? Because that wouldn't be right. He's a just God. He's a righteous God. And if he did so, he would cease to be righteous. So he provides a way for those sins to be pardoned through Christ. 
and, and not swept under the rug. It required the death of the Son of God for those sins to be covered. So sin is a serious, serious thing. And because God is a holy God, every sin that we commit uh, is uh, against an infinite God and requires an infinite punishment. So we don't want to receive the punishment for our sins because it would be an infinite punishment, a never-ending punishment. We should look at this phrase in a different light than what I've been saying. We should take this as saying that the people of God received double blessing for her sins that have been pardoned. This is a legitimate way to interpret this. Instead of receiving the punishment due for her sins, a word of comfort would be that she has received from the Lord's hand double blessing for all her sins. She's received something good in the place of her sins. They do not receive what they deserve for sin. In the place of punishment, they receive pardon and blessing doubled. That's true for us as Christians. Christians do not receive what they deserve for sin. This is what Christ has done for us. He received the punishment in our place. And that, my friends, is a comforting thought. On the cross, when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was enduring the wrath of God for our sin. God was pouring out upon him that cup that Jesus prayed about in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. The cup that he was going to drink, the cup of God's wrath. Not wrath for his sins because he had none, but wrath for the sins of his people. He drank that. He drank that wrath and bore it in his soul. And that's why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had always known from eternity perfect fellowship with his heavenly Father in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together forever in a, in a, in a uh, relationship of love within the Trinity. But here, at this one moment in history, the Father turned away from his Son, turned his love away, and poured out his wrath upon him. Isaiah goes on to talk about it in, in chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Putting your faith in Jesus means that God does not punish you for your sins as you deserve. That punishment was placed upon Jesus Christ. And as we go through trouble in our lives, we should never think that that difficulty we face is because God is punishing us for our sins, as we are likely to believe and think. God has already punished, dealt out the punishment for sin. Now God may be disciplining us like a father should discipline his children. Trouble certainly 
uh, may have a teaching purpose because God loves us so much and he wants to train us and teach us in the way of holiness. And he wants to make us into, uh, into the image of Christ. He wants the best for us, so he disciplines us. But he doesn't punish us. He's already punished Christ in our place. What a comfort that even our trouble has a good purpose. And it is not punishment for sin because Jesus has already paid the price. Do you know the comfort of being one of God's people, his child? And are you experiencing that comfort in your life? If not, I encourage you to turn to Jesus today as we read in Isaiah earlier. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Turn to him. Turn from sin. Cry out to him and he will save you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us this wonderful word of comfort that that our trouble will be over. It will not last forever. And it does have a good purpose in your plan and your will. And we thank you that the church's iniquity is pardoned and our sins are covered. And that you, in return for our faithlessness, remain faithful. And you have provided a way for us to not only be forgiven for our sins, but to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Lord, as we turn our attention to the Lord's table, we pray that we would be again reminded as we take of the, the bread and the cup of what Christ has done for us and that we would value it more than ever in our lives. And Lord, we pray for any here today who do not know you, who do not know that comfort of having their sins forgiven, of being your child, Lord, we pray that, that they would even now say, Lord, I want to know that comfort. I, I want to, to turn to you and seek you and find you. Lord, would you please reveal yourself to them, even in, in, in these moments. And may you wash and cleanse them and pardon their sin. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.